Father, this morning, for what you're wanting to do in our life, it's going to take cooperation on our part. You've already sent your word out to heal all of our diseases and our, and our mind fractures and our brokenheartedness, and you've already sent it out. Now it's up to us to, to dial in and tune in to what you really want to do. And so this morning, we just thank you for these people's generosity because they believe in your kingdom, they trust in your kingdom, and they believe that it's an everlasting covenant that has no end. And so we appreciate that this morning. And I pray that you would just reciprocate your word to them as they learn to sow into your word in your kingdom, that your word will not return void to them. So thank you for this offering in Christ's name. Amen. amen. And amen. Mm-hmm. So last week, we began an Olivet Discourse. And I kind of told you that please don't leave the church until I get through. And then you'll probably want to leave the church before too long because we're going to get to the end of the age. We're going to get to the rapture of the church and we will get to the millennial age. And I will tell you this morning, as I said last week, dealing with Bible prophecy or interpretation of the Bible, the context is king. And we're going to have to make it correct, not only in content, but in context. So some of you that have never been raised in a church, that if I'm your first pastor, you're really in pretty good shape. Because as up to now, up to 34 years, I haven't really done anything stupid. But for some of you that have been to a certain uh, teaching and, and thinking process, as we found out last week, that, that we have to tear out a few things. But I'll promise you we're going to restore with with truth and stability and, and assuredness. So um, I told Jordan yesterday what I'm about to read you. This statement took me longer to come up with than it did the whole sermon. Really? And so um, the Olivet Discord, my mission is to make accountable every critic who has vandalized the image of God, my Father. And those who have scorned the scriptures and who have engraved and given us a Christ out of their own imaginations. There's only one Christ, and it's the biblical Christ. And all other Christs are only shadows of the Antichrist to come. And so I caught, I caught Danny Sherry in the hallway this morning for about 30 minutes. Nobody's safe when I'm on a roll. Nobody's safe. Young children, farm animals, I'm going to find you and I'm going to talk to you because... Because this is really, the discussion is so important because this is what I'm going to say to you, and I can say it in just a few seconds. The reason why this is important to keep it in context, because watch this, as we found out the the, the things have happened from 33 AD to 70 AD, which is destruction of Jerusalem, but the Olivet Discourse, which is in Matthew 24, which is in Mark 13 and Luke 21, was for those people in between the years of 33 and 70 A.D., because destruction is coming. And, and one thing, now, you haven't thought about this, but the reason why this is so important is this, is because that, that we have taken prophecies that Jesus has spoken, and now that we have catapulted to somewhere of the unknown, and it's still unknown. But the problem with this is this, that we're making light of what he is trying to process in the minds of the people, that not accepting my son Jesus as the sacrifice of all mankind, there's consequences for it. And when he talked about famines and earthquakes and plagues and bowls, I mean, don't shoot them off into Iran and Gog and Magog and the Chinese government. Don't do that. Because for 37 years, and even though that in 33 AD that Jesus was risen from the dead, they still went back and sliced the blood of lambs, goats, and animals. And I asked this question, has, and the last thing you heard me say was Sunday morning, and the rocks fell and not one stone upon the stone. Does anybody has ever been in an argument with their spouse and you slammed the door or she slammed the door? Be careful, Philip, be careful. And maybe a picture fell off. Oh, no, don't, don't, never mind. I, okay. <laughs> but you slammed it so hard, maybe pictures fell off the wall. At 70 AD, when God said, enough is enough, he slammed the temple door so hard that there was not one rock left upon another. 
But the last thing I told you at 70 AD, when he said, I've had enough of this artificial sacrificial worship, you've held my son, you behold his words, and now then you have committed the highest form of treasury, and God left it. And at 70 AD is when sacrificial worship stopped, and it never has regained again. So this morning, the reason why that Mark 8, and the reason why that, and I've told you for 25 years, somebody said, do you know anything about Revelations? And my answer is, I know a little bit about it, but I'm not going to talk about it. And they always say, do you know anything about the end times of the Olivet Discourse? And I always say, I know a little bit about it, but I don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. And as of last week, some of you are still in shell shock. I appreciate you coming back. But I told Daddy, when we get to the second coming, the millennial reign, you may want to, you, you may, who knows, you may want to buckle up buttercup because I'm just going to turn your church playhouse upside down. It has nothing to do with our calling. It has nothing to do with our salvation. It has nothing to do with the second coming. It has nothing to do with our eternity with God. It has nothing to do with the blood of Jesus. It has everything to do with putting things in context. And so we're going to do that. So last week's sermon we left you with, there were some general warning signs in Mark 13 of his coming. Some general warning signs. Number one, Mark 8, 13, 7, 8, he said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. When you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. Verse 8, for the nation will rise up against nation. This is ethnic, ethnos. Kingdoms will rise up kingdom. This is the zealots are in revolt against Rome. That's 66 A.D., and there will be earthquakes in various places, which would be Pompeii and Phrygia. We know that in the later early parts of the 60s, before Pompeii, Mount Methuselah erupted, there was a tremendous amount of earthquake there everywhere. And there will be famines, economic collapse, and troubles. The word troubles means that there will be bloodshed. Families will kill one another. We went into this last week. If you weren't here last week, I ain't got time to do this again. So the first thing you're thinking, yeah, that's Iran, that's Ethiopia. No, that is between 33 and 70 A.D. And you don't have the right to take that scripture and move it where you want it. <clears throat> Anybody ever been to my house? Well, the reason why you have it. But if you ever come over there, <laughs> you don't have the right to go to my icebox and move the milk and put it in the stove. You ain't got that right. There are certain things in the Bible that you don't have right to move. It's not yours. You just get to read it. You don't have the right to go in my mailbox and take out letters and put in the other people's mailbox. That's none of your business. So you don't have the right to take any scriptures and move it where you want it. You don't have that right. And if you do, there's consequences. And I'm here to help you before that happens. So now then, destruction of the temple. This is what he was referring to. There were some general warning signs before the destruction of the, of the temple. Now then, number two, he tells them there's going to be some personal warning signs. This is found in Mark chapter 13, verse 9. Things that would happen to these people standing in front of you. Okay? Mark 13, 9 and 10. But watch out! For yourselves, for they will deliver you up to council. What council? The religious council, Sanhedrin's. They're going to deliver you up to the councils, and oh, baby. And they're going to load you with prosperity. They're going to give you a swimming pool and a new Lincoln and a new Mercedes and an airplane to go with it. Now, I want to ask you right now, I really don't have a church membership. I just feel like if you want to show up and pay your dues, you're part of, the, you're part of this church. But if I had a church membership and I said, who wants to be a church member? Just go ahead and raise your hand. How many wants to be a church member here? It's a pretty good church. The rest of you, go ahead and raise your hand. I'm, I'm just, it's a play of words. Oh, we're going to have good singing. We're going to have good music. I'll be great. Oh, yeah, but after church, uh, we're going to beat you with an inch of your life. <laughs> I'm out. Did Jesus promise fluff and stuff? So Jesus said, the time will come. Watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you to, up to the council, the religious men, and they will, you will be beaten in synagogues, which is the old church house. And you'll be brought before the rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must be preached unto all nations. Now then, what I want to talk to you about is this. 
Remember what he said? Go back to verse 9. He said that they're going to deliver you up and they're going to beat you in the synagogue. Doesn't that sound like a precursor to the book of Acts? Has anybody read the Bible besides of me? Both Luke in the book of Acts says he's listing records that of relentless and repeated persecutions upon the followers of Christ, present people attended for. So you kind of keep in mind, now put things in perspective, Jesus rose from the dead around 33, and the book of Acts kicked off 33 and 50 days. So don't act like the book of Acts is years down the road. We're talking less than two months. Pentecost means 50. And on the 50 day, the Holy Spirit was poured out in some, man, it began, the machine of God began to go. So Jesus is saying, they're, they're going to, he said, by the way, by the way, that they're going to drag you before council. This was new to them. And they're going to beat you with the inch of your life for my name's sake. Present people in front of him. Now, for, I have to list this. In Acts 4 and 3, Peter and John, they were dragged into the council under church house arrest. Acts chapter 5, verse 18, Peter and John now then is put in full prison. Guess what they were doing? Preaching the gospel. Everybody wants to be a Daniel, but everybody's afraid of cats. Everybody wants to destroy Goliath, but we're, we're afraid of giants. You understand that? Everybody wants to be great, but there's a price to be paid with being great. Acts chapter 5, verse 33, the Sanhedrin council now ordered them, watch this, to be put to death on the spot. And if it wasn't for Jamal sitting on that council, they would have killed them both there in the church house. For speaking the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 5, verse 40, they were beaten. The Greek says blood came out. You know the old saying, two of you go to a gang of people, and I say this right up front, I'm going to fight to the last drop of his blood. Acts chapter 7, verse 59, Stephen was murdered in cold blood. Acts chapter 12, verse 2, James the disciple, the sons of thunder, was beheaded by Herod. And the next verse says, it so pleased the Jews that Peter was next. They were waiting for the feast to get over with and they were going to cut Peter's head off. And then the angel of the Lord came in. So you're going to say, well, why didn't the angel of the Lord came in and save Peter? Well, why didn't he save James? Who knows? But he didn't kill Peter. So when Jesus mentions this, in Mark, watch this. He said, I'm going to tell you straight up that things are going to happen in the next few days. And they're going to drag you before the Sanhedrins. They're going to drag you before the council. They're going to beat you an inch of your lives. And there's some terrible things that's going to happen. Trouble's going to come. It means even unto death that's going to happen to present company. So what you've got to do is you don't have the right to catapult this into another time zone in the future, saying, well, that's to come. That's right now. And I don't know about you, and I'm not being smart aleck about this, and when we had some problem a couple of years ago, and I'm not going to mention anybody, but they were cutting people's heads off the internet, I want you to know, you talk about problems. And when I grew up, we talked about that they won't take the mark of the beast, and we're going to talk about that one day, that they'll cut their head off, and we think, boy, that, that day will never happen. Three years ago, they were cutting people's heads off on live TV with a knife. While we sit in America as fat cats thinking we're all good. I'm telling you, our day's coming because you can't murder with abortion millions of babies a year and think that God is going to blink at it. He is not. And I'm not clapping for judgment and I'm not clapping for persecution. I'm just telling you, Buttercup, you better buckle up. Because what's about to happen over there could easily happen here before this week is over. And I'm not going to get on to that. I'm just here to tell you this morning, Jesus is given a prophecy on his, all of that discourse that this is about to happen. 
Now, if you want to, you can take some of it and you can liken it to present day, okay? Or you can liken it to the future, okay? But I want you to know the prophecy that Jesus is giving is for present company. All right. Now, there's a funny thing. Can we go back to verse number 11? And I'm going to show you something. Jesus is on a roll. We showed you 9 and 10 and verse 11. But when they arrest you, boy, this is comforting. He didn't say, if you get arrested. Anybody here been in jail? Now, don't raise your hand, please, because you're going to make people nervous. All right. And he said, when they arrest you and deliver you up, and why would they arrest him for speaking about Jesus? And in a few weeks, when I get to the millennial reign, I'm going to tell you why you can sit by somebody in a church and they hate you and you never say anything. And I'm not talking about a thousand year time to come. I'm talking about the millennial reign that lives in you right now. There's a king in you. Anyway. So when they, when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. Now this don't even, this don't even make sense. Then whatever is given you, whatever happens to you in that hour that you speak that, for it is not you who speak, but it's the Holy Spirit. Now, this is crazy. This is Jesus speaking about something that hasn't even happened yet. And it sounds just like you're reading the book of Acts. Isn't it amazing that Jesus puts this in a wonderful chronological order? He's not saying when you get a pay raise and when you get promoted, the Holy Spirit will speak through you and say things when everything's going your way and everything's good and everybody thinks you're great, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. He doesn't say that. He said when you get arrested and persecuted for my name's sake, watch this, that is when and only when the Holy Spirit will move through you. Now you're going to say, well, can the Holy Spirit not move through us? Well, yes, he can, but notice the emphasis when you're out of options and it's beyond words what's going on in your home and your family and your mind and there's nothing in your power that you don't have enough money nor enough wisdom to handle it. Oh, I know you can handle it when everything's winning. But what about when everything's not going in the, everything's going in the other direction? And Jesus said a, a, a fourth time, when they arrest you and they deliver you up and your boss cusses you out and your next door neighbor brings in more cats, the Holy Spirit will speak to you and through you. And I will tell you, you can ask me and I'll tell you, when's the greatest time that I've ever, ever felt the presence of the Spirit of God in my life is the times when everything in the natural was wrong. brutally wrong. And I get somewhere and lock myself in a car or hide in a closet when nobody's around and when words fail me and I have no answers for anything, I found that's when the Holy Spirit will has a key to my closet and he comes and he sits in the same closet and I do and he'll speak to me. And he says, when you're arrested and beaten and persecuted and you're confused of what's going on, that's when the Holy Spirit will speak through you. Pretty good, isn't it? Now then, the Holy Spirit's intervention for us, as predicted by Jesus, is found in Mark 13, 11. Acts 4 and 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, it don't matter what he said. It just says Peter now is filled with the Holy Spirit. And now then he's looking down the gum barrel of the religious leaders. No, he's just going to take a licking, but he's saying it anyway. This is talking about the Holy Spirit's intervention for your life. If you do not believe in the Holy Spirit working in your life, you have no idea of, of what you're missing out. It's a very vital and an active part of your relationship with Jesus. Number two, Acts 7 and 55. This is when the stoning of Stephen began. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing in the right hand of God. And he says, I see this. And the Bible says they begin to pull their hair out and tear their clothes. And that's when the stones begin to fly. 
when Peter faced persecution, what happened? The Holy Spirit spoke. When Stephen saw the stones in the hands of the religious elders and he knew that was the first rock and roll party in history, the Holy Spirit began to speak. Are you with me? Acts chapter 13, verse 9. This is Paul squaring off against Elimus, the sorcerer. There's a governor there that wants to be born again, and now they got a town magician there. And this magician that is full of the devil, he, he, he opposes the apostle Paul. Said, oh, no, you're not getting him because we've heard of you, and if he gets born again, I'm out of a job. And Paul, which is Saul, but Paul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at the sorcerer. And he said some things. So I got this in the Message Bible because you like it. This is the same, this is the same city. Watch this. This is verse 11. Who had worked himself into the, the confidence of the governor, Paul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, not easily taken by the charlatan. The wizard's name was Bar-Jesus. He was as crooked as a corkscrew. And the governor invited Barnabas and Saul into this Barnabas and Saul in, wanting to hear God's word firsthand from them. So here's the governor that all he has around him is a screwball. Bar-Jesus. Isn't that funny? I'll explain that next week. I can't get off track. It looks like the Jesus, but he's not Jesus. The word bar means gibberish. It means Jesus with the gibberish. You don't understand that, do you? It's Jesus, the name, but he's got all this gibberish that goes with it. Kind of like our churches today. We got Jesus in there, but we got the spirit of goofiness going on everywhere. So Dr. Know-it-all, that's the, that's the sorcerer. And that's the wizard name in playing English. Dr. Know-it-all. Stirring up a ruckus, trying to divert the governor from becoming a believer. But Saul, or Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, looking him straight in the eyes. What happens is, is that, watch this. Don't misunderstand my meekness for my weakness. Cat and rat sounds the same, but it's not. I'll tell you, if you ever contradict or if you ever cross scriptures, references, for your own personal gain, being filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm coming after you. And I'm going to, Dr. Know-it-all, I'm going to look you square in the eye, being filled with the Holy Ghost. And really, it scares some people because they never see me. I'm, I'm, I'm not moody or bad temper, but when it comes to my father's business, I'm all business. Now, I'm going to laugh and have a good time and pick on you, but when it comes to dividing the Word of God, I'm all business with you. So Paul told the host said, you bag of wind, parody of a devil, why do you stay up at night and any schemes to cheat people out of God? But now that you're come up against God himself, you and your game is up. You're about to go blind and no sunlight for you for a good long stretch. And the sorcerer was plunged immediately into the shadow of the mist and stumbling around he went blind, begging people to take his hand and to show him the way. Paul, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, now then, Elimus, the witchcraft and the sorcerer, Mr. Know-it-all, Bar-Jesus, tell everybody you know everything, your time is up. You're messing with God himself. Paul wasn't claiming to be God, being filled with the Holy Ghost. There was consequences for disrupting people for getting born again. And that's why sometimes I'll tell you, don't go to sleep on me. I'll tell you, don't do crossword puzzle. Don't watch your phone. And don't turn on Nickelodeon here. Because you know what you're doing? You're distracting people from coming to know God in a better and a different way. And that's why I'm all business. And if you don't like that, I, I love you. I love you. But go somewhere else where they want to play church. I don't want to. I'm getting older. I ain't got time to play church. Some of you are ancient. Some of you smell like mothballs. We ain't got time to start over. <laughs> so what do we do with verse 10? The gospel must be preached to all nations. The gospel must be preached to all nations before we come. So here is the apologetic critic. So if you and I were going to play apologetics with one another, this is what we would say. See there? Right there. Right there. Don't turn to Jordan. Right there. Today, all nations have heard, right there, 
The gospel must be preached to all nations before Jesus Christ will come. The prophecy that he was talking about was a future prophecy because Jesus cannot come back because he's waiting on us to get the gospel out. So let's go, let's go, let's go. Have you ever heard that in your Assembly of God bylaws? He's waiting on us. Oh, oh, let me leave. God is not waiting on us. He may be waiting on us to get out of the way. So the apologetic to this, see there, there's people in a country over in, in Zabwekai, wherever that may be, that hadn't heard the gospel yet. See, they're all nations, all the world. They haven't heard the gospel. Jesus cannot come. But once again, mixing events of Christ's prophecy and his second coming versus the destruction of the temple is taboo. He's not speaking here of his second coming. He's speaking here, present people, of the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., and so he said, well, what does it matter? It matters a lot. Because if someone kind of fibbed and stretched you on that part, what else have they fibbed and stretched you about? So, again, we have to keep everything in context, and the subject matter is the temple. So, <clears throat> verse 10 says, and the gospel must be preached to all nations. Okay, say the word nations, nations. before he comes. So the term nation in verse 10 is where we get a word for ethnos, where we get a word for ethnic or racials. Ethnoi is a word for the plural of races. Now this is really important because once again, we're going to keep this in context. He said the gospel, and how many knows Jesus wasn't confused or needed to be corrected on this? He said the gospel must be preached okay, to all the nations. All right. He wasn't speaking about the year 2022, 23, 24. He was speaking between the years of 33 and 70. Why? Because destruction was coming. Real babies will be massacred. Real children will be slaughtered. Real parents will be beheaded. And once you understand what he's trying to convince these people of what's about to happen in 37 years, you'll get your mind off futuristic things of the unknown. He's speaking to a people that the, the Roman army is already coming in. So the term nation, it means by definition... Ethnoia means anything that is non-Jewish. Okay? Ethnos, it goes beyond white, black, red, pink, yellow, purple, polka dotted, all these races. It's ethnoia, it means there is a multiple of non-Jewish people. And the Jews back then thought they were the only ones that really mattered. And I know you would never think that. Whether it be, I wrote Gentiles, pagans, heathens, or barbarians. And the word barbarians doesn't mean like Conan the barbarians. Barbarians means barbar. The Jews called them barbar because it means gibberish language. If you didn't speak eloquent Greek or perfect Jew, they considered you as barbar, gibberish. And we know the Apostle Paul on the, on the Isle of Crete. And he said, the barbarians treated me with wonderful kindness on the shipwreck. Even though that I had trouble understanding them, but their actions of love outweighed anything that I couldn't understand. You know, one time, what time is it? Oh, it's, I didn't set my clock. We're in good shape. Gail and I one time went way south. I forgot where we're at. I, I can tell you, we were in Huckabay, down there by past Nicaragua. And, and, and right, we got in a church off down there, missionaries took us, and, and it was an outdoor pavilion. It was in the month of February. It, wasn't, it was their wintertime, but it wasn't cold at all, probably 70. But they all had their sweaters on because it was their wintertime. And there was probably about 200 people in this place. It was an outdoor pavilion, full, full, completely full. 
And uh, we went in there. Uh, missionary took us in there. And boy, I mean, they fired up. They really, really getting after it. They had a piano, maybe just, you know, they had a piano player. They had a couple of guitar players. I don't know what they had. And everything they said and sung, I didn't understand one word. Only thing I know in Spanish is, lead me to the buffet bar. That's all I know. <laughs> I didn't understand anything they said, Thomas. Not one thing. Little kids dancing and, and just, just I, I, I can understand Jesus every once in a while. But I didn't have to understand or to know that the power of the Holy Spirit that was in them. Oh, it was real. And see, we get lost in making sure that our verbiage, you know, we get lost in that. I'm telling you, it don't take long to be around someone to know that Jesus is real in their life. And, and, we, and we may disagree on secondary doctrines, because we all do. We all disagree on secondary doctrine. But I'll tell you, there's one doctrine that we agree that Jesus is Lord. And the Holy Spirit is alive and working in us and, and he's rearranging the furniture in our lives and he's taking some furniture out because it smells like cat urine and he's bringing in brand new furniture. It's all good. And God has hung his home sweet home sign in the walls of our heart. We didn't know what they were saying. But we know one thing, that Jesus was alive. So the idea of this was the gospel really preached in the first century was it preached, as he said, the gospel must be preached to every nation. Did this prophecy occur in the first century or was Christ incorrect or confused? Okay? So I'm, stay right there. Mark 13.10, the gospel must be preached to all nations. Whether you interchange that with the world or the nation. We'll deal with that next week. So was he speaking about present day, or was he speaking about past today? So let's let the Word of God be our rule. Can we? Can we quit guessing? Hey, did I tell you I'm not selling books? I'm not signing anything. There's no T-shirts or no book sale. Now, boy, he has got a couple cassettes back, back in the 70s, back when he's good looking, but don't buy them either. They don't work. Colossians 1, 5 and 6. Because of the hope. Now, leave it right there. When is the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul got born again. Now, we're going to disagree with this, but we're going to get within a year or two. Jesus rose from the dead, 33. The Apostle Paul got born again somewhere around 34, 35, 36. He heard the word, we're going to say around 35. Two years, year and a half after Christ rose from the dead. He got born again. And he preached all the way to 67. Now we know, we know that he was born about 6 AD. So when he gets born again, he's about 30-something years old. He, and he's the perfect student under Jamal. He was, he, was, he was blameless in the law. But when he really got hold of the power of Christ, he got born again. So what I'm telling you, there's not much of a time period between the resurrection of Jesus and the Apostle Paul and his ministry to these churches. A year and a half, two years. So watch this. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you have heard. Who has heard? These people have heard in the word of truth of the gospel. You've heard it. Watch this. Which has come to you as it has also come in all the world. What in the wide world of sports is going on here? Paul's only been preaching for two or three years, and he said, this gospel has come to you. It's come to you, but not only you, but it's come to the whole world, bringing forth fruit as it is also among saints. The day you heard it and knew the grace of God and truth. Verse 23, same chapter. If indeed you continue in your faith, grounded and steadfast, you are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's giving you the idea that I have, I have not left one stone unturned. You've heard it, but every creature under heaven has heard it in the first century. Now, he's not speaking about the United States, and he's not speaking about Australia, down under, and we'll explain this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22 and 23. Watch this. There's two words.
Jesus said, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. And when they persecute you, oh boy, here's another one. In this city, Jerusalem, flee to another. For surely I say unto you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Let's get this straight. Jesus is predicting the destruction of the temple. Agreed? Well, if you don't, you're wrong. He's, just, he's talking about the destruction of the temple. And he says right here, he said, but I'm telling you, assuredly, that you will have not covered. Who is, who is he talking about? He's talking about his disciples when he is going to be raised from the dead at 33 A.D., they are going to receive the commission in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, go out and be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. They haven't heard that yet, but he already knows. He knows they're fixing to leave Jerusalem and go spread the gospel. Where are they going to go? They're going to go to Jerusalem and then Judea. He said, but I'm going to give you a little inside information. While you're doing the missionary work to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world that you've never been before, you will have not covered all the cities. You will not have covered all the nations until I come. You know what he's saying? Now, it'd been easier if he'd have said, now, I'm going to tell you right up, boys. I'm going to be resurrected in 33 AD, and then I'm going to destroy the temple in 70 AD, so you got 37 years to go out and do the ministry. He doesn't say that. It'd be a lot nicer if God would fill in the blanks. Would you agree? Amber had been a lot nicer if he told you what you married back then, what you got now. But anyway, besides that, it's all right. I love you, Thomas. So what happens is, is this. He's dealing with nations as the nation of Israel. Surrounding cities. Israel was a huge territory. And he said, before you get through with Jerusalem and Judea, the end will come. And you know what happened? It did. Now, the next word is found in Matthew 24, 14. Same concept. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. This word world is, is related to the word oikos, but it's, it's kind of, it's called, it's called orku mone, which means, by definition, land boundaries. It was the Roman Empire's territory. It was the Mediterranean world. Don't answer this. What world did the Apostle Paul cover? He covered the world of the Roman Empire. He wasn't talking about Australia and America and Mexico and Canada. He was talking about the Mediterranean world and his three missionary journeys for over 30 years that he did not leave one stone uncovered. And wherever he went, he preached to them the gospel of Jesus. And when Jesus said, and this gospel must be preached before the world comes to the end, it doesn't mean the world as far as we know in the future. It means the Roman Empire world, the Mediterranean world. And when did that come to happen? 70 A.D., and the Apostle Paul began from about 35 or 36 A.D., and he preached all the way up to 67 A.D., full throttle, but there were still three years that he still was ministering, but he did not get to cover the whole empire of Rome before the destruction had happened. See, don't ever ask me to get on a subject he's explaining, because we'll be here for weeks. So next week, we're going to talk about age, the dispensation of age and world. So we got to go. Show, this, show Mark chapter 13, verse 30. So surely, I say to you that this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. What generation? Now, when we were young, we were told the generation was 40 years, then some say 70 years, and then there's a little bit of biblical tones, about 100 and some change. But, but I want you to know the Greek word for 
Hey, don't, don't get sleepy on me. You asked for this. You've been in the wrong all your life. What generation? And once again, you catapult this forward. And you say, oh, the, 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 what, what generation? And so the idea of the generation that he's speaking to is a Greek word called, we talked about this, it's called Ganea. And by definition, Ganea means a type, a sort, a kind. People like this. People that are here and now. And when you hear the word Ganea from Jesus, it means present day people. You. Now, I'm going to prove this before we go home. So when Jesus, if you weren't here last week, the Olivet Discourse, they asked this question in front of the temple. Hey, this is a great structure. How do they build them like this? And Jesus said, I'm telling you, the day will come where there will not be one stone left upon another. And then he shut his mouth and he walked to the base of the Mount of Olivet and began to speak. And I told you last week why he did that. But because of making accusations about the imploding of the temple, it's like getting on an airplane saying, hey, everybody, I got a bomb. Immediately, the pilot will put on the brakes and somebody will help you off even though you haven't landed yet. He doesn't change subjects. Your Bible may break it up in that way, but, but don't be confused by it. He takes them privately, four of them, and he begins this discourse in Mark 13 in a, in a quiet setting because he doesn't want it to get out that they're making plots to blow up the temple because if that gets out, then his pre-course of going to the, to the cross to be the substitution for our sins will be averted. So now then, what generation? So he's looking at his disciples, and he said, but this I'll tell you in verse 30. Go back to verse 30. Get me back on a, this. He said this. What type of generation? This generation. And he said, I'm saying to you, assuredly, you can count on it, that this generation will not pass until all these things come to place. What is he talking about? He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's not talking about something that's going to happen 10 years from now. He's talking to these people about a future event that's about to happen. Okay? Now, the apologetics of this, I said I was going to quit, and I am, but some argue that this is not necessarily a time frame. It's a mind frame. Some, some want to argue, especially in Pentecostal circles, that it's not a time frame because if, if you limit it to a time frame, then you can open end anything. Does that make sense? So a mind frame. So the argument of a mind frame of a generation, type, sort, kind of people is this. It, it means this, that, that dealing with the righteous and the unrighteous will always be here when he comes again. Well, now that makes pretty good sense, but it's wrong, but it makes good sense. Because so what you're going to say to me, if you're going to argue this with me, and we can argue when I get through. I love to argue with you. But what happens is some say that it's not a time frame that Jesus was talking about. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a mind frame. It's a frame of mind. So he's saying this. This has nothing to do with, with, with modern-day destruction of the temple. It has everything to do with the Antichrist in the years to come and so on and so forth. And so now then, the mind frame is this. We'll always have righteous here, and we'll always have the wicked. Okay. That's a pretty good argument. So, so whenever, if, 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 if you want to be a dispensationist, it means this, that the unknown, and we're going to make our whole life on the unknown, and we don't know when it's going to happen, but we're not sure what's going to happen. And I read you the disclaimer last week, and our head exploded the first three minutes, what we believe. And you can't prove any of it. But I'll tell you what, Dad Bernie, you'll fight anybody that will question your integrity of the Bible, and you only know about two verses, but I understand. So they say it's a mind frame, not a time frame. But I will tell you that that's incorrect. It is a time frame. And even though that there'll always be the righteous and we'll always have the wicked when he comes again the second time, and there will be a second coming. And come next week, we're going to talk to the rapture of the church. Oh, come, please, please, please come. 
even if you're sick, just come on. Because in 30-something years, I've never talked about this in full detail. I'm finally getting around to it. Really? Lucy, we got some explaining to do. I'm going to explain it. So was Jesus speaking about in this generation, when Jesus said this generation will not pass until all these things will be fulfilled, talking about his coming, and what he's talking about is present-day people within a lifespan of 40 years. Ganea means present day. There's six of them, but we're going to read them because I vow to allow the Word of God to be my defense. Peter said, fill the Holy Ghost. Let every man be a liar. Doctor, know it all. But let God be true. So is this generation speaking about a future generation, a mind frame, or time frame? It's a time frame. Matthew 11, 16 and 17. But to what shall I like in this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace. What generation? What generation? What generation? How can I compare this generation? It's like a bunch of kids sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you, but you would not dance, and we mourned to you, and you did not lament. What generation? Present-day people. Same Jesus, same generation. Matthew 12, 41, 42. And the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation. What generation? What generation? Present company. And they're going to condemn it because they repented the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. He's telling you, these people only had shadows of the Messiah. You got the Messiah and you still won't accept me. This generation. Matthew 23, 36. Now surely thou say unto you, all these things must, will come upon this generation. Present day people. Mark 8, 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, this sinful and adulterous generation. And you say, oh, he's talking about this one. Oh, I can't argue with that, but he's not talking about this and you can liken to this, but he's talking about the one at hand because they adulterated the things of God. We're not talking about sleeping with your sister. We're talking about you have mixed and contaminated the holiness of God and defiled it with the unholiness of mankind and called it holy. This sinful generation of him that the Son of Man will, will be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with his angels. Luke 11, 15, 51, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation and from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar at the temple yes I say to you it shall be required of this generation and last but not least and everybody said thank God Luke 17 25 but first he must suffer talking about himself many things and be rejected by this generation Jesus was speaking to and about a present-day generation that was concerning that the temple would be destroyed. So what happens is, is that you may say this morning that any chimp at Frank Buck Zoo knows all that. I'm, I'm with you. But I want to say something to you. I told Danny Sherry, but I'm going to say something to you that, and I'm not even going to look at you. 
But for you that want to come in here and play church and hide behind a certain pews and podiums and things like that, the reason why Jesus kept referring to this generation and over and over from 37 to 70 AD is because they have contaminated and polluted and corrupted the one true sacrifice, Christ himself, God's son. And they mixed it with works and performances. And high hairdos and long dresses. And makeup and no makeup. And how many doors did you knock on this week? And I'll tell you within itself, there's nothing wrong with high hair and long dresses. And there's nothing wrong with makeup. There's nothing wrong with knocking on doors. I'm not knocking on any of that. I'm just telling you that that should never be mixed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And if you really, really, and once we begin born again, and, and, but, the, but here's the, the, what I need you to understand this morning. There's consequences by not taking advantage of the full weight. If you're not saved this morning, if you have truly never committed your whole life, being, soul, and mind to Christ, I'm telling you, from Acts 33, to, excuse me, from, from 33 AD to, to 70, they all play church. And keep in mind, at 33 and a half AD and 34 and 35, the name of Jesus was still buzzing around. The Jesus movement was still buzzing around. And they were still talking the streets about Jesus while they're leading animals to the altars, cutting their throats. There's only one Christ, and that's a biblical Christ. And I'm a slave to him. I'm a slave to him. And I'm going to break your bubble. You're going to be a slave to one of them. Either you're going to be a slave to Christ or you're going to be a slave to the devil. There's no free willers at all. You're going to be a slave and a servant to one of them. And I just choose to be a slave to Christ. And where he goes, I go. Where he stays, I stay. And what he says me to do, I do it. I took off my shoes. Taking off your shoes is, a, is a, I have no ownership of anything. He told Moses, take off your shoes. You don't own this piece of property. And Moses took off his shoes. Now some of us, we just leave one shoe on and I understand. <laughs> but what I'm telling you this morning, what I'm telling you this morning is this, don't, don't miss out what this service is all about. I'm not here to prove you wrong. I'm not here to prove a point. I'm not here to convince you I know something you don't know. I, that's not my mission here. My mission is here is this. Get your life right. Put Jesus first. Sell out. And I'm not going to tell you somebody's not going to beat your brains out when you leave her because they probably will. It's part of it, but I'll tell you, there's no life than the life of being sold out to Christ. So, what does the future hold? I don't know. We'll talk about it next week. And we'll talk about the second coming, and we'll talk about the rapture of the church, and we'll talk about the stage being set. Okay? Will there be tribulations? Yes. Will there be signs of hatred and violence? Yes. Will there be division in the church? Will there be hypocrites in the church? Yes. Is there people here that's only here to distract? Maybe. Behind religious outfits? Probably. I told you, you know, the meanest people in the world, I'm not even looking at you, the meanest people in the world are religious people out of relationship with God. They're the meanest. I'll take a, a drunk and a prostitute and, and a liquor store owner over what I, of, of a religious person that's out of relationship with God. They're mean. Read your Bible. <laughs> Woo, just tell them the rapture's not going to happen and see what they do to you. But he will come again the second time without salvation. And as Zechariah says, that day will come, Becky, but he'll put his feet upon the Mount of Olivets and they'll bust open from the east to the west and they'll look upon him as they mourn as they're killing of their own son. And at that moment, they'll say that he truly is the Messiah. That's the day that I'm looking for Jesus to come. Whether it's in a yellow taxi or blue bus, I'm not going to fight with you about it. I'm just telling you, 
Christ, King Jesus, is coming back to earth. But I've got to make sure that I'm sold out today. So that's what I'm here for this morning. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for your word. It is, it is just so accurate in content and context. And I never want to lose the proportion of what you were trying to explain to these men of the suffering and the beatings and the persecutions that they were about to go through, that generation. I'm not going to distort that in that generation, 70 AD, that the temple would absolutely be leveled and people would be massacred. But beyond the smoke and the dust and the debris of that whole horrible picture, I still cleave to one promise that the Holy Spirit will stay with us. The promise that I cleave right into the middle of the prediction of all their pain and the sorrow is that the Holy Spirit will not only invade their life, but intervene for them. And I can see it happening today. Holy Spirit, we're just so thankful that you're a part of the great Trinity. And we're so thankful that we feel you and we understand your, your role in our salvation. I'm so thankful, Holy Spirit, I'll just speak it publicly when I don't know what to say or what to do or which wire to cut, green or red, you help me. And then you give me the boldness to stay with it. So for every mother here this morning whose child is wayward, for every father that there's disagreements between you and your son, between every family member that there's bloodshed every time you get together at a family meal. For every night that you worry all night long about your grandchildren, all these things that something you cannot control, but the Holy Spirit is here to remind you He'll help you. You that are here this morning, I, I want to say something clear to you. You're not here by accident. You're here by assignment. You just didn't say, hey, I think I'll show up today. God had you here this morning to examine your conscience. I want to make sure that everything I do from this day forward is to promote God's son, Jesus. And for whatever lies before us, he'll give us the grace to help us. Help us, Father, as we continue this simple study on the prophetic word of Christ. In Jesus' name, and all the people of God said amen. And amen. Hey, if you still can, stand to your feet and give the Lord a praise offering. Your legs may be asleep by now. I don't know. Isn't God good? Ushers, if you'll please come with the communion elements. And I'll say something to you, even though that your life is very valuable today, but I'll tell you, those people's lives that were about to face the assault and the murder between 33 and 70 AD in Jerusalem, their life was very important too. And Jesus was warning them. And I'm warning you, get your life right. Get it right. Quit hiding behind an, an, an experience and a denomination. Open your heart. And get it right. Father, we bless this cup and we bless this communion. We're going to ask you to do something supernatural that only you can do. Just help us to be more Christ-minded. Help us to be more Christ-centered. Before I can change the world, I've got to be changed. Help me take this gospel in Jesus' name.